Very happy that you're here today in the Lord's house. You're very welcome. If you're here for the first time, or maybe you've come back to be with us, and also a warm word of welcome to those who are viewing our service online today. We enter into the house of God with joy, with thanksgiving. We come to worship the living and the true God. And as we do so, it is with a serious heart and mind. It is with the intention that the Lord will have from us all of our hearts to give to Him. And we have a great theme. Of course, the believer's life and the Christian's heart has the theme of the gospel. And when we think about the ground that you and I stand on today, it is not shaky ground, but it is solid ground. And it's the redemption ground that Christ has purchased for us. And we are alive in Him today. And we can be very happy about that truth. If you're using our hymnal number 47, we'll stand pleased to sing Redemption Ground. fourth verse. We'll take a pause for a moment, catch our breath, and think about these words, no works of merit, now I plead, but Jesus take for all my need. No righteousness in me is found except upon redemption ground, my dear brother and sister. What a great truth this is, and something you know in your heart as I do, 
that we cannot approach to the Lord on anything we have done. We don't come promoting ourselves, our own good works, our own even faith to believe, because that itself is a gift from God. And yet we come to rejoice that today we are free, we are forgiven, our sins have been taken away, and we have an eternal home in heaven. That's something to cheer the heart, you know, in the course of all the stuff that's going on in the world today, and those things that would discourage and set us down. And certainly, it's a word of encouragement for hearts that are sad and grieving. The loss of loved ones today is to know that our standing is unmoved, no matter what happens in this world. So let our hope and our confidence be reaffirmed today. Verse 4. Let's bow before the Lord, please, now in prayer, committing ourselves to Him on His day. Father, we enter into Thy holy presence this morning, and we come in that name that is above every other name, the name of our living Lord, the Sovereign Christ. And Father, as we begin our time of worship now, we're very mindful of the need of the Holy Spirit to help us in every part of our worship, in our singing, in our praying, the reading of the Word, the understanding of the Scriptures, the ministry of Thy truth to every heart. And Lord, we come to once more present ourselves the throne of grace. How thankful I am, Lord, today that we are welcome into Your presence. And there is no one and nothing that can keep us away. For we are the children of the King. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that gives us warrant 
today that gives us a welcome that will never be refused. Lord, the scepter of your holiness has been extended to us, and Christ has united us so that we can come. And today we rejoice. We are your children in the family of our God, and that no matter what happens to us upon this earth, we know it is well. It is well with our souls. Dear Lord, I pray that you would lift up and encourage every heart of your child, and that if any who are here today who do not know the Lord, they would come to taste and see and understand and repent of their sin and call on Christ for salvation. Remember our brother Dan today as he grieves the loss of his dear wife. Comfort his heart, be with him. Remember Andrew and Matthew, the extended family. And Lord, as we pray for them, we know that the days and the weeks that follow will not be easy, but we know that with Christ in our hearts and lives, in the vessel of our lives, we can face whatever storms may come. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to rest and to trust in our God more and more each day. We know that trials come, Father, and they are sent for a purpose. And I pray that each time they come to us in our lives, we will not lose faith, but rather we will depend more on your sovereign purposes, and we will rest in our God, quicken our hearts, nerve our spirits. Lord, go in front of us and lead us forward that we will follow simply and humbly in the pathway of truth. Keep us, Lord, in the center of your will. We long and desire, Lord, to be useful in your kingdom. For at the end of it all, nothing else matters in this life but that we fulfill, Lord, your eternal purpose for our lives. Not my will be done, but thy will, O God. So hear our prayers. Encourage hearts and hands that may be hanging down today. Some may be discouraged for other reasons we know nothing about, but we can cast every burden and care upon our Lord, for we know, Father, that you care for us. Quicken us, help us as we rejoice, as we sing and worship, and I pray, Lord, that there would be emanating from this fellowship a strong testimony of love, of faith, Make us soul winners, we pray. Lead us to people that we can share our testimonies with, that we can tell them of Jesus and of all His wonderful mercies and His great grace. 
And Lord, we can tell them about redemption ground and that we're standing on a sure footing today. Lord, remember, we pray, Christians in other parts of the world who are distressed and troubled, cast down under the heel of oppression and violence and persecution. We pray for the believers in the Ukraine today, for the church there, for the witness that they are having in harm's way. Bless them and help them and turn back evil men and wicked advancements, Lord. We pray for Christians who are held captive in Afghanistan, in Iran, Iraq, in India, in Pakistan, in Myanmar, in Nepal. Lord, bless Brother Thapa in Nepal and all the churches that are there trying to be a witness and a light in this time. Bless our Brother Schultz in the Czech Republic. Pour out your Spirit mightily upon them. Remember the work in Liberia. Brother DeCanio and Sister Joan, Joanne Greer. Father, remember our missionaries in Jamaica, Richard, and in Mexico, Jason and Danielle. Father, pour out your mighty spirit of protection and provision in all of these places, and let your name be magnified. Lord, make use of us here. Our land, Father, we need help. Our leaders need help, Lord. They are wandering off in the midst of their own foolishness, O God, rebuke them for their pride and arrogance, and I pray that they'll be brought to common sense. Give us and grant us an awakening, a reviving across our nation. Raise up voices that will be strong and true for the Savior. Encourage our hearts today. Bless us, we ask, O Lord. We pray all these things now in our Savior's precious and holy name. Amen. Let's continue, please, in our worship. Psalm 119, Selection E.
Please turn in your Bibles now to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll read the first seven verses of chapter 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. We know the Lord will bless His Word to us today as we have read. There are some mountain peak scriptures and verses in the Word of God that so clearly testify of of Jesus, of what He came to do, and you could not pass by verse 5 and 6 in this section without seeing that truth. There is one God and one mediator, one go-between between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And this great truth has been a comfort to the believer, and it's been a great gospel text to share the message of truth and the good news of the gospel that Christ came into the world in order to take the hand of God and the hand of man and unite us through His work on the cross. And that's a great truth and a great blessing. Christian, this verse should be one of the foremost verses that we memorize and have right on the tip of our tongue when we're thinking about sharing our faith and of testifying to the Word. Well, who is Jesus? What did He come to do? Ah, First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, and that would be a good verse to keep in our memory. Again, let me say to all of you a warm word of welcome today uh, to our service. We're glad that you're here, and we trust that you have come to hear the Word of the Lord and to be encouraged and to worship God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. We're very pleased that you're with us today in God's house. This past Wednesday was a difficult day for us here in our congregation, certainly for our brother Dan and his family, as we had the service, first of all in the morning, of the interment of our sister Jennifer, and then at two o'clock in the afternoon we had a memorial service. 
And I say it was a difficult time, but it was also a, a very joyful and a happy time as we reflected upon the life of someone who had made such an impact in our church and in our school, and the very tender and earnest reflections and tributes that were paid by family members and by our staff and students from Whitfield. It was a very special day in many respects, and I want to say a word of thanks to the ladies in our congregation who really rose again to the occasion and helped immensely in your hospitality and the love that you shared in providing for the fellowship time after. It was a real encouragement and blessing. I have a note here from the family. Let me just read that now. <clears throat> Dear friends at Toronto Free Presbyterian Church, we are very thankful to the pastors, elders, deacons, school administration, and church family for their support of our family over the last two months while Jennifer was in the hospital and following her passing on to glory. We greatly appreciated the many prayers, encouragement by phone calls, texts, emails, cards, and practical support. Your spending time with us at the visitation, interment service, memorial service was very meaningful. I believe God was glorified and Jennifer was honored. We were all praying for Jennifer's recovery. God answered differently. We must continue on with the Lord's help and support of our immediate and church families. We experience firsthand Galatians 6, verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Gratefully, Dan, Andrew, and Christy, and Matthew Browett. Well, brother, we're thankful today. Thankful you're here in the service, and our prayers continue uh, for Dan and his family at this time. Please remember today our ministry and services. We have prayer at 5.50 downstairs, and we hope that you'll be able to join us. And then for our evening service at 6.30, I want to continue in our study of the life of Daniel as we look and examine that book in the Bible. We will be having our communion service following the evening service tonight, and so I pray that God will meet with us and your heart will be encouraged. Remember, please, on Monday we have a school advisory committee meeting at 4 p.m., and then on Tuesday night there will be a baby shower for Evelyn Siman, and that will be here in the church. And then on Wednesday evening, we have our Bible study and prayer time at 7.30. And on Thursday evening is our women's Bible study, and that will be at 7 p.m. It is a busy week, and I trust you'll keep all of these services and ministries earnestly before the Lord. 
that there will be strength given and there will be good fellowship again in the Lord's house. I must say, as we are getting back to some normality in our, our church, uh, the hymnals will be going back in the uh, pews. I believe it will be done this week. And uh, we've been looking at that and putting some new ones in and just looking at uh, taking out the old ones. I know that some of you uh, were able to take some of the older hymnals home if you wanted to have your own personal copy. We do still have some of those available. And if you would like one, you can speak to one of the elders at the door and uh, they'll be able to get uh, a hymnal for you for your own personal use and you can have it and keep it at home. And then next Lord's Day, our services at the regular time, God willing, our Sunday school at 9.55 and then our morning service at 11 and 6.30. Today we had the general or combined opening as we do every communion Sunday on the first of the month and Brother Kingsley Jew leads the opening singing for the boys and girls. And I want to encourage you as parents uh, with younger children to be sure you come on good, in good time uh, every Sunday for every Sunday school, uh, not at 10 o'clock or 5 after, but get here at 10 too. So it gives yourself five extra minutes to get sure you're settled and in place so that you don't miss out on any of the worship time, certainly for the boys and girls and uh, for the young adults and the adult class as well. An advance notice regarding the Easter services that were being held are being held in Port Hope Free Church, and that will be this year, the Easter services, April 15th and 16th, Friday and Saturday. Reverend John Wagner will be the special guest preacher, and he will be speaking on the subject of the pursuit of holiness. Now, there will be a dinner on Friday in between the afternoon and the evening service, and if you would like to be a part of that, well, we need to get your name down so we can give just the Port Hope Church a little indication of folks who plan to attend. And so there will be a, a sign-up sheet at the back on the table, and you'll be able to fill out your name and how many will be coming with your family if you would like to attend. So the service in the afternoon on the Friday, there'll be a dinner time, and then there'll be an evening service on Friday night as well, and then a service also on Saturday. Those are all the ministry announcements that we have for you at this time. We're going to sing, and boys and girls, we need your help for this one. This is a Sunday school chorus, and it's taken from John 14, verse 6, I am the way. And so we want to sing that chorus at this time, remaining seated while we sing.
Well, I think you sing better when you're standing. And when we have that, the music is slightly different from what we've been singing in our Sunday school. And uh, we'll have to get maybe the updated version of that or maybe the old one when we sing it again. We have another hymn that I did locate that's based on that theme of Jesus being the way and the truth and the life. And uh, we're going to sing it perhaps this Wednesday at our prayer meeting so we become a little bit familiar with it. And uh, then we will be able to sing it at another time. But it's a very tremendous theme and a good theme for us to consider. I'd like you to turn, please, now in your Bibles with me to John's Gospel. Chapter 14. John 14, we're reading the first six verses. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Father, our hearts are still now as the Word is open, and I pray for the Spirit's help both to speak the Word clearly and plainly. Father, take away every distraction and let each heart be open to receive the Word today. Bless us now, for we ask in our Savior's name, and for His glory. Amen. Our Lord had given to His troubled disciples an irrevocable promise that He would come back again. You see, news of His departure, it had shaken them to the very core. The Savior had poured out His comforting words to them. On earth they had no continuing city, and they were strangers and foreigners in a hostile world, but Jesus spoke of the Father's house and having many mansions, abiding places, 
room enough for all who would come to God in faith and in repentance. Now, added to this, Jesus affirmed that He would come back to receive them to Himself, and that where He was, they would abide. The answer to all this was a resolved belief in Christ. They had trusted in God, they believed in the Lord, and they had believed in Christ, but He was bringing them out to something that was more convinced, more confirmed. It was a total abandonment and unswerving belief in the sovereign God of heaven and earth and in the Messiah, the Christ, whom He had sent. And this promise of our Lord that He would come again, it helped them. And it was going to certainly strengthen them with an unnatural resilience because they were going to face many trials. Things had been tough as they had followed the Lord for three years, but it was going to get a lot harder. They were going to suffer and die because of their association with Christ. And that resilience that they needed and that faith in Jesus gave them, it was a confidence. Yes, their sins had been forgiven. They had been washed away. They trusted in the Lord as the Messiah, and they had a place reserved for them in glory, in the heavenly places. It gave to them determination, as it does to us, that no matter what the present outcome, they were more than conquerors through Christ. And they had, well, they had a fortitude to face all the discouragements and disruptions. And therefore, in light of all that, they knew and they were being taught to depend on the fact of the certain outcome and the hope that one day they would arrive in that place that Jesus was going to prepare for them. And it was a hope and a peace, and it comforted them, and it gave them a certain stillness. Before long, they would be with their Lord, as before long, you and I also will be absent from this body and present with our Lord and Savior. Our Lord expanded on the subject by saying to the men, they knew His destination, and they knew how to get there because our Lord Jesus had shared that with them many times throughout His three-year teaching time with them. And this is why it seems so strange that Thomas blurts out, Lord, we do not know where You're going, and how can we know the way? And here we observe the, the patience of Christ with His people for in the time of their weakness, in the time of our doubting, He comes to us with words of great reassurance. He brings to us again the truth reinforced to our hearts. Because at times, as it 
did not with Thomas just then. It hadn't clicked with him. It hadn't just come into his heart in the way that he had heard Jesus speak it before. The penny had not dropped, as we sometimes would say. And you know, when we reflect in our own hearts, we're a lot worse off than Thomas was at times, aren't we? Think of how much more knowledge we have. Think of how much more light of history that has been given to us and the testimony and the revelation of many, many saints, and yet sometimes we are so slow to pick up the truth and to allow it to be in our hearts. We don't want to criticize Thomas overly. He was a real practical kind of guy. He was, as we would say, a nuts-and-bolts sort of a character. He just had to see how it worked. And that was good, you know, because there are some of you who are like that. You are type of people that you just have to get right down into the nitty-gritty and find out, well, how is this going to work? I don't want something that's theoretical. I need something practical. I need it as it's going to really get me through and understand how it works. Don't forget that all of these men, they believed that Christ the Messiah was the one who was coming to set up His eternal kingdom then, the Davidic kingdom. He was going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem and rule and reign over all the world. And now Jesus says to them, I'm going away and you cannot follow me? That didn't make any sense to them at all. Uh, they had... They had a lot of things to learn, didn't they? Sometimes you and I will go down a, a wrong pathway, even from our study of Scripture, and we're thinking we've got it all figured out. And then, some new revelation the Spirit opens our hearts to from the Word of God, and we realize we don't have it all together. We're not quite there yet. No, no, a long way. We are all works in progress, and the Lord is at work in us. And therefore, today, believer, do not be discouraged. If you have questions, if you have things you've been asking the Lord about and you just can't make sense out of it, you keep praying and keep asking, keep seeking the Lord, and what you will find is that as you pursue Him and He makes Himself more known to you from your study of the Scripture, He will advance your spiritual knowledge. And as He advances it, we will learn more of our Savior from the Word. We will know more of our God. We'll learn, learn more about ourselves and our own deficiencies. So in response to Thomas, a doubt-filled question. It has come to us by the grace of Christ one of the most profoundly simple and straightforward gospel words that could be published and has been disseminated, amplified. It's been promoted and expounded and preached upon in order to present the Son of God, the Savior of men, and the answer to the need of humanity that is lost when Jesus declared in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
no man comes to the Father but by me. And we're looking at that text this morning in our study of the Lord's life and teaching. And I pray the Holy Spirit will again write its truth upon our heart and that we will have a deeper comprehension of the vastness of what this Word is. And if you do not know the Lord today in your own heart, that you will come to trust in Him. Please notice what we are taught from this verse and what we draw from it is that man's ultimate destiny is to be united to God the Father in His eternal home. Sin has separated man from God. The doctrine of the holiness of God and the total depravity of man, it shows for us and to us a great chasm that cannot be crossed by any ordinary human means. Man has tried to to cross that gorge to get to heaven by his own ability. But each time, and under the guise of some religious procedure or some rite or ritual, we could say there are dump truck loads of good works that have been poured off the one side of the cliff of man's sin and trying to fill up that chasm in order to get across to the other side. But friend, all to no avail. For that chasm is a bottomless one that cannot be filled with all of the good works and religious observances that man has. And it tells us that deep down in the heart of humanity there is a desire for peace, a desire to have a state of joy and fulfillment by getting somehow to an afterlife, somehow to what people have called paradise. Man was created by our God to have a relationship with Him as the Creator. The soul of man is is empty, and it does not have real meaning without God. And how many times people try to cover over that or else to deny the emptiness in the heart of being without God, but they cannot escape it. Because God has stamped upon the heart of man a longing to be unified with the Creator, longing to at one day go and abide in the presence of God in His house forever. The whole question about life beyond the grave is all part of the meaning of life and existence. Why is man here? What is the purpose of life? What is man, David asks, that God should even be mindful of him? These are deep philosophical questions 
and in the heart of every single human being, in some dimension or another, those questions are asked. And friend, it may be that in some way or another, you are asking that question now. It might be you're listening online today, and you've tuned in by what you think is an accident, and you're hearing this question posed to your heart, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? My friend, the answer, the answer is given to us in God's Word, but man has rejected it. Do you know that NASA has sent up several space probes into outer space emitting signals? And the intention is, in the emitting of those signals out far and wide as these probes have gone far beyond even Mars, and they were hoping, hoping, hoping to receive back some response from those signals. Is there life out there? Is there some other civilization? Are there other beings? And you know what they have received back again? Crickets. Silence. Nothing. Funding for those colossally expensive programs have actually been dropped by the government, the U.S. government, that is, because it just was so costing so much money and there was no response back again. A deafening silence, actually. But God rejecting humanity continues to search for some intelligence somewhere. But for all the searching, they've ignored the obvious. They have ignored the obvious and the overwhelming evidence of design and the operation within nature and in the universe itself. And it all boils down to a quest that's in the heart of man. He wants to find out answers so long as the answer does not have to do with a God of the Bible. And that's the bottom line, you know. That is why men have sought out other ways and giving answers for why we are here, and it has boiled down to the evolutionary process of the other humanistic models. And they have to stretch and stretch and stretch for every possibility of an answer to anything but God. Because if they acknowledge an intelligent designer if they acknowledge that there is a being out there greater and beyond, it means that it's something that we can't touch and feel, and we can't put it in a test tube and try it by science. And therefore, it has been rejected. But it will be rejected by the sinful heart of man to their ultimate destruction because in the heart of man they try to hide it and cover it and deny it, but there is a longing which the Creator has placed in your heart to know Him, 
to one day ultimately to abide with our God. When He created man, Adam had that fulfilled longing and desire in his heart. He communed with God, but that was lost because of sin. And what is then the answer, friend, to these very probing questions? I will tell you the answer we have is found in this text, and it is the astounding self-declaration of Jesus Christ, the astounding self-declaration of our Lord. For He said to Thomas and to the other disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. This is without question a statement that concerns life beyond what we know on this earth. Jesus is speaking primarily about eternal realities. He's going from them. He's going to His Father's house to make preparations. Now, those disciples knew that the Father's house was beyond this world. Jesus is not talking about something on earth. Although we know that by our own experience, to know Jesus Christ as our life and truth and way, that also maps out our journey on this world and earth as well. But there are eternal realities that are being spoken about here. Christ is the way. This word that we have in John 14, verse 6, the word way, it's such a common word in the New Testament. It's used many, many times. It means road, highway, route. It's used, for example, in Matthew 3, verse 3, when John the Baptist was speaking about preparing the way of the Lord and to make His path straight. Of course, John the Baptist was quoting what uh, Isaiah said in, Proverbs, in Isaiah 40, preparing the way of the Lord. Jesus used it again in Matthew 7, verse 14, he said, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And even the enemies of the Lord would use this word when in Matthew 22, verse 16, they said, Master, we know that thou art true and teacheth the way of God in truth. Astounding. They were actually speaking very clearly that Jesus the Messiah, that they had rejected, but they acknowledged He was a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet. And they said, you, you are speaking the word of truth. You're talking to us about the way to God. They actually said that. And yet in their heart, they did not receive it. Many of them, anyway. 
Now our Lord had just told his disciples about his father's house and that he was going from them and they could not come at this time. So when Thomas said, we know not, there was presented an opportunity for the Lord to give a response with such clarity and re-emphasis about what he had been teaching them for three years of what they knew about the Messiah, God's messenger. And when we stop and consider for a moment the weight of such a declaration, it would be of staggering arrogance for any mortal to say such a thing. Christ did not say He was one of many ways to God, but He was the way, the road, the highway, the route to the Father's house. This is not a welcome statement, my friends. Not a welcome statement to many who have set themselves up as deities, as gods, and in their idol factories they have manufactured many, many gods and world philosophies and religions, and the idea that Jesus would be the way to God, the isolated way to God. Many talk about the Lord or talk about God and use that name and are relatively okay with it because the word can mean anything. As a matter of fact, even on the back of the the U.S. dollar, in God we trust, well, we will take that from the founding fathers to mean the God of the Bible, but today, for many people, it could could apply to any God. Christian, so-called, lowercase, Hindu, Muslim, native Indian, or the thousands of other false religions. And so when Jesus would declare that He is the way, He is the narrow path, it isolates the message, declaring that He is not just a prophet, He's not just an example, He's not simply a martyr, but He is, my dear friends, the Son of God, the one sent from God to show us the way back to the Father. Are you on this path today? Do you know Him? Are you following on that road? The Lord went on to say that I am the truth. What a question or what an answer that is. For this question, what is truth, that Pilate asked as he stood before the Son of God, is considered to be one of the the great perplexing questions that have troubled humanity. The reason is easily stated, but the pursuit of the answer, well, it's consumed the thinking and the writing and the postulating of philosophers and humanists, astrologers, and wise men from every culture and every time period. While most people do not delve into the 
intricate, we could say, mechanics of the question, all men, at one time or another, they have thought about that. What is truth? How do I know something is true? How it will impact our life? In this time, but in the next time, the next life. How do men answer this question? Well, to the humanist and the evolutionist, which sees no other God but himself, truth is something like a moving target with no measurement, and it doesn't have an absolute standard other than the the cultural shifting of that particular time and generation. So, truth, we could say, according to them, is nebulous. It's always moving, always subjective in the eye of the individual. And then you look at the next classification of people, perhaps those who are good living citizens, people in this world who are are just nice people. They've got a nice idea of what life is. Truth may be based upon the laws of the land and how they would live compared to that. It could be and is fluctuating depending on the situation that people find themselves in, but often the phrase comes out from that, being true to yourself or living by your own truth. Well, whatever that might be, just make sure you live by it and all will be good. Because how can someone else judge you when you're living by your own truth? What about to the criminal mind or the pathological liar? How do they define truth? Well, it's whatever they want it to be or whatever they believe it to be at a certain point. So that is why lie detector machines are not always reliable when you're dealing with someone who is a pathological liar because they genuinely believe that what they're saying is true, and therefore they do not emit some of those signs or telltale signs that a person is is lying. But there is a, a term in theology called objective reality, which means that truth exists outside of human perception and behavior. And this truth does not depend upon man for interpretation or for validation. It is truth outside of man himself. And therefore, it does not change. It's not alterable by what man does. It abides, it remains unchanged. This means that it exists outside of humanity, and then it comes, therefore, from a higher power, from another being, an intelligent agent and first cause. And this we know as believers to be the living and the true God who has revealed Himself through the Scripture. And He has given us His wisdom and His love and His knowledge and all truth 
through His infallible and holy and inspired and inerrant Word. And yet with grace and mercy that is higher than the heavens themselves, God the Father has given. He has given this to us. The Word of God in flesh who is the express image of the Father. He is the final Word to this world. All that the Father is has been revealed to us, my dear friends, in the Lord Jesus, in the Son. The holy and righteous and pure truth of God that stands not only for who He is, but what He is in every motion, every decree, every purpose that flows from Him. All is truth, and there is no alteration from it. You know, the Lord Jesus prayed in John 17 to His Father, sanctify them through Thy Word, for Thy Word is truth. And we know that Jesus Himself is called the Word of God in John 1. He is the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And God has exalted His Word above all His name. Psalm 138, verse 2. And what that means is that God has subjected Himself to His own Word. And Christ is that revelation that has come from the Father. We know that God cannot lie. He cannot go against His own truth. And when Jesus said, I am the truth, we have in that Scripture, friend, the combination of the words, I am, the Eternal One, and the word truth, the full expression of the Supreme Being. And it is an astounding claim that Jesus made to Thomas and to all men for all time. And if you in search of real meaning of life, and you will find the answer to that question, Jesus Christ is the truth. But he made one more claim here, and he said that I am the life. John wrote of Christ when he said, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Him we live and move and have our being. And our Lord said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. The statement that Christ is the life, it applies to all creation. There is no life without Him. 
It is His very power that causes all life to exist. And it causes, by His continual input of energy, this world to turn, and the solar system to operate, and the universe to function. It is from the life that flows from Christ. And when we are spiritually reborn and have trusted in our Lord Jesus as our personal Savior, He regenerates us. He breathes into our spirit. Our dead soul becomes a living entity. And we are alive in Christ. This is not by the work of our flesh. It's not by the will of man but it is from God. Friend, today, have you received this new life in Christ Jesus? Are you born again of the Spirit of God? Have you confessed your sin to Him? I know that many of you have today, and many of you are living in the light and hope and truth of that, but maybe that matter has never fully been settled by you. Yes, this verse teaches us man's ultimate destiny, to be united to the Father, and it shows us very clearly the astounding self-declaration of Christ Jesus. But we also have in the verse the only entrance, and Christ is the only entrance into heaven. He said, no man cometh to the Father but by Me. Having made this very bold statement already, He steps even further into the face of Satan and all of His enemies, and He declares to them with absolute certainty, there is only one way through whom the security clearance for heaven can be received. Only one way. Now the sinner has a choice who will come to God through Christ alone or else you will never come to God. Jesus alone. He is the way to God and the only way, He is the only ladder up to heaven. Mr. J.C. Ryle said, there is only one door, one bridge, one ladder between earth and heaven, the crucified Son of God, who is the Father to none, but to those who believe in Christ. In short, there are not many ways to God. There is only one way. Now, some would argue, and they have. It's too narrow. It's too bigoted. And there needs to be other ways to God. But anyone who would say such a thing, they do not understand and have not received clearly the teaching of the Word of God of the sinful state of humanity. But friend, also, you have not received the idea and the knowledge of the wickedness of your own heart because... Christ is the only way to glory because He is the only one that could pay and open that door for us. We have nothing to pay with. 
We cannot enter. Remember that great chasm that is fixed. It cannot be crossed by no matter how much fill we try to put in. It's not possible for us to pay the price of our sin. Jesus said, no man, no person can come to the Father but through Him. The hymn writer summarized it this way, Jesus has paid it all. It's all to Him that I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He has washed it white as snow. And that is our hope today. That is the joy and the peace that we have. The question comes to you now, friend, and to any who are not believers, what do you think of Christ? What does He mean to you? We're going to sing this particular hymn in closing now. And as we do so, sing it. Let these words come into your heart with power. Number 363, let's stand please as we worship.
Father, today we bow humbly under the grandeur and the profundity of this great verse of Scripture and these words that Jesus our Lord has declared. I pray, Lord, that they will echo in our minds continually, and we will bow with great reverence before this magnificent truth spoken by our Lord Jesus in response to a question, Lord, of doubt. Oh, we're thankful, Lord, today that Jesus is all to us. He has shown us the highway to heaven. He speaks to us the truth that is unchanging, and He is the resurrection and the life. And I pray, Lord, that many will come to trust in Him. Lord, impress it on every heart that there is no other way. Part us now, Lord, in Your fear, and with Your rich blessing, we ask in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Mm-hmm.